<coughs> thank you very much for that introduction and on this beautiful morning. <laughs> thank you all for coming out. Um, these are tough times for our country. And what democracy means to me, and we don't see it all that much, is having serious discussions about the problems that we face and in a respectful way, we have different points of view as to how we go forward. Sometimes, I've said this many, many times, the media sees politics as a soap opera. If I slipped on a banana peel here, trust me, that would be on the front pages of the paper. Uh, if I said something dumb, it would resonate around the world, which is a problem because I often say things that are dumb. But if we stick to the real issues that impact your families, but what we have tried to do in this campaign is to talk about the real issues facing millions and millions of people and talk about it in a way that the campaign is done. Um, let me say a word about politics and about what we're trying to do, then I want to get to the issues and I want to take some questions. We don't have a whole lot of time, so I'll be brief and we'll open up your questions and your comments. When I began this campaign about nine months ago, a lot of the pundits and the media said, well, you know, Bernie, you look presidential, you call me there, that's right. You're a GQ kind of guy. Uh, but you really don't have a chance because your ideas are too radical. And also, uh, that in this day and age, you're not going to raise the money that you need to run a national campaign. Sadly, all of you know that today to run for president of the United States, you need hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. That's a sad state of the past, but that's the reality. And what I was told is that the only way you can raise that kind of money is to have a super PAC. You all know what a super PAC is. And a super PAC is something created out of this disastrous Citizens United Supreme Court decision that said billionaires can now spend as much money as they want on elections. So we're going to establish a super PAC, get billionaires to contribute to your campaign, you may be able to raise some money. Well, I don't represent the billionaire class. I never have. I don't represent corporate America. I never have. And we very quickly decided, no, that's not the route that we want to go. Everybody else is going that route. All of my Democratic opponents are going that route. We are not going to do that. And we face the problem. How do you raise the money that you need? Well, we, they, we tried, we, we, we decided that we would do it an old-fashioned way, that is, reach out to working families in the middle class and ask for their help. And something happened that I would never in a million years have dreamed would have been possible. In nine months, we have received two and a half million individual contributions. Can you believe that? From over a million people. Now, many of my opponents take pride in going to a room of wealthy people and leaving with $5 million. I take personal pride in telling you that our average contribution is $27. How's that? Uh, we've already achieved something enormous, and that is to say you can run a strong, and I believe eventually winning campaign without being dependent on big money interests. Okay, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, issue number two. When I began the campaign, people said, well, you're running against an inevitable candidate. 
Secretary Clinton is the inevitable candidate of the Democratic Party and might be able to, you know, raise some good issues, but you can't win. Well, when we started, we were 3% in the polls. We are 50 points behind. Today, the inevitable candidate does not look quite so inevitable as she did eight and a half months ago. And I think, as many of you know, it's going to be tough here in Iowa. I think it is going to be very, very close. We are working as hard as we can. We have many, many thousands of volunteers. We have a great field staff. We're on the phone. We're knocking on doors. And we certainly need all of you to help us uh, win uh, the Iowa caucus. Um, then there's an argument that Secretary Clinton has been putting on the air and said, well, you know, the reason we have to vote for Secretary Clinton is she is the only candidate who can beat right-wing Republicans. Well, she is absolutely right in saying that it is, for the future of our country, it is absolutely imperative that Trump or any of these other guys not be elected president. But what is not true is the suggestion that she is the strongest candidate to defeat Trump and others. And what I can tell you is that for two reasons. Number one, if you look at just some of the polls that are coming out, and just I think a poll yesterday or the day before, uh, we were defeating Donald Trump in a national poll by 15 points. She was defeating him by 10 points. And I'm glad that she was defeating him by 10 points. That's good. It's better than I'm defeating him by 15. Another poll had me ahead of him by 13 points. She was ahead of him by 7 in Iowa and in New Hampshire, both battleground states, we were doing much better against Republicans than she was. So it's not only polling, but here's something else where it is important, and I think who can win in November. Republicans win elections as they did in the last midterm election, when people are demoralized and when people don't come out to vote. And there's a lot of demoralization in this country. In the last election, in the last election, 63% of the American people didn't vote. Okay. 80% of young people didn't vote. This country is not going to do well in any respect when voter turnout remains that low. I believe, and I think the evidence is overwhelming, that it is our campaign that is generating the excitement, generating the interest, bringing young people in that can lead us to a large voter turnout in November. We have a large voter turnout. Not only do we retain the White House, we're going to get the Senate back, we'll do better in the House, and we'll win governor's chance all over this country. If we have a low turnout, if people are demoralized, if people do not come out, Republicans will do better. And I think the objective evidence is our campaign is the campaign of excitement, the campaign of, of, of energy, the campaign that is bringing people into the political process. So anyone who tells you, well, and I've read this, well, I like Bernie's ideas, seems like a nice guy, he can't win. That really is not true. From the bottom of my heart, above and beyond ideas, if you want somebody who is going to beat Donald Trump, who is going to beat the other Republicans, I think Bernie Sanders is that candidate. Let me touch on some of the issues that are out there. And one of the reasons, I think, that our campaign 
is doing so long, has so much energy, is that we are touching the issues the American people say, yeah, that's right, that's what we have to do. Here in Iowa alone, my memory is correct, and I think it is, we have had meetings exactly like this all over the state of Iowa, and some 40,000 people have come to meetings like this. And we're going to be working very, very hard in the next two weeks. I think we'll probably bring that number up to 50,000. So what we're running is a grassroots campaign. This is the campaign. Nothing fancy, no PowerPoints, no marching bands. This is it. Ain't nothing more. Just people coming together to talk about the important issues facing our country. Let me just list some of the issues that I have been talking about. Margaret already touched on one of them. In America today, we have a grotesque level of income and wealth inequality. Today in America, I want you all to hear this, the top one-tenth of one percent, not one percent, one-tenth of one percent owns almost as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent. One-tenth of one percent as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent. In America today, the wealthiest 20 people, not a whole lot of people, own more wealth than the bottom 50 percent of the American people. 150 million people, 20 people. In America today, one family, the Walton family of Walmart, owns more wealth than the bottom 40 percent of the American people. And by the way, let me say this about the Walton family, the wealthiest family in this country. You know, we hear a whole lot about welfare, people ripping off the welfare system. You heard that once or twice? You know who the major recipient of welfare is in this country? It's the Walton family. And you know why? Because you are paying taxes to provide Medicaid, to provide food stamps, to provide affordable housing to the people who work for Walmart because Walmart is not paying them a living wage. That's called welfare. So thank you all on behalf of the Walton family for providing welfare to them. They are very appreciative. You know, worth about $60 billion or whatever they're worth. They thank you very much. But I think maybe instead of getting welfare from the American people, it might be a good idea for them to pay their workers a living wage and provide these benefits. going on, and the reason why people are angry, and they have a right to be angry, it's not just unfair wealth distribution, it has to do with income, what we earned this year. So here's what's going on this year. In my state of Vermont, it is not uncommon, really is not, for people to be working two jobs, maybe even three jobs, to cobble together some income and some health care. Sound familiar? Going on all over the country. And yet, at a time when mom is working, and dad is working, and maybe the kids are working, and by the way, our people in America work the longest hours of any people in the industrialized world. You know that? Japanese, very hard-working people, we work longer hours than do the Japanese. And yet, at the end of that, 58% of all new income, over half of all new income, goes to the top 1%. And that is why people understand that we are living in a rigged economy. People work longer and longer hours. They are exhausted. 
can't afford to send their kids to college, can't pay for childcare, have a hard time paying for prescription drugs, and yet almost all the income goes to the people who need it the least. So here is a radical idea. You all ready for a radical idea on a cold Iowa morning? What about creating an economy that works for working families and not just a handful of billionaires? Number two, number two, and not unrelated to a rigged economy, is the fact that we have a corrupt, and I use that word advisedly, a corrupt campaign finance system which is undermining American democracy. I see some veterans in the room today, and I'm the former chairman of the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs, and I work very, very hard to try to make sure that our veterans get all of the health care and the other benefits that we owe to them and do it in as fast and, and, and decent a way as possible. But I've talked to veterans who fought in World War II, Korea, all the way through Afghanistan and Iraq. And when you ask people to defend our way of life, to defend American democracy, it saddens me very much that as a result of this Citizens United Supreme Court decision, billionaires are now able to buy elections. So you have a situation where people like the Koch brothers and others are spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to elect candidates who will be there to protect the interests of the wealthy and the powerful. And that is, to me, absolutely unacceptable. And what I would promise you is that if I'm elected president, no nominee of mine will get that position unless he or she is prepared to say loudly and clearly that they will vote to overturn this disastrous Citizens United Supreme Court decision. And when we talk about the economy, and when we talk about why it is that people are forced to work such long hours, there is a very simple explanation that everybody in this room knows. And that is that wages in America are too damn low. Now you can do the arithmetic as well as I can. $7.25 an hour, $9 an hour, $10 an hour. Multiply by 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, you add it all up, you cannot live on that sum of money. You just can't do it. And that is why I believe that we have got to understand that a minimum wage today of $7.25 an hour is a starvation wage. It has got to be raised to a living wage that living wage is, over a period of a few years, $15 an hour. It is. it is not a radical idea to say that if somebody works 40 hours a week, that person should not be living in poverty. And the other half of that equation is to also understand that it is unacceptable for women to be making 79 cents on the dollar compared to men. We need pay increase for women. 
when we talk about the economy, we also have to understand the truth about unemployment. All right, once a month, U.S. government comes out with a number of figures and studies regarding unemployment. And one of them is called the official unemployment rate. That's about 5% nationally. But there is another number that comes out which includes people who are not only unemployed, but people who are underemployed or have given up looking for work. When you add that up, that number is close to 10%. And there's another number out there that we have not looked at or discussed much at all. Youth unemployment. I asked some economists to do a study for me. This is what they concluded. Kids 17 to 20 who graduated high school, didn't drop out, graduated high school if they were white, white kids. Youth unemployment and underemployment, 33%. Latino, 36%. African American, 51%. Which then takes us to another issue. And that is tragically in this country, we have more people in jail than any other country on earth. More people in jail than China, four times our size. And if anybody here thinks there's not a correlation between the fact that we have youth unemployment off the charts and more people in jail, I believe you would be wrong. So here is my second radical idea of the day, and that is maybe it is smarter for us to invest in education and jobs rather than jails and incarceration. And then there's another issue out there. The issue of the media basically does not talk about it at all. Too hard, too complicated, not talking about it. And that is our trade policies. Not a sexy issue, who cares? I <laughs> I care because since 2001, in this country, we have lost 60,000 factories. Not all of it attributable to trade. There are other reasons the factories shut down. But a lot of it is attributable to trade. And I was there in the fight against NAFTA, against CAFTA, against permanent normal trade relations with China. I am helping to lead the opposition to the Trans-Pacific Partnership Bible. Why? Because virtually all aspects of these trade agreements are written by corporate America to benefit corporate America, and the result is that millions of workers in this country have lost decent-paying jobs. You don't have to have a PhD in economics to understand what these trade agreements are about. What they are about is corporate America saying, why do I want to pay a worker in Iowa or Vermont, 20, 25 bucks an hour, when I can shut down here, go to Vietnam, go to China, go to Mexico, pay people very low wages, don't worry about the environment, don't have to deal with unions, and then bring that product back into this country. So if somebody who has helped lead the opposition against these disastrous trade agreements, let me tell you, we're going to rewrite the trade agreements we are going to demand that corporate America start investing in the United States of America, not China, not Vietnam. And then, by the way, when we talk about the economy, we cannot ignore the elephant in the room. And again, people don't like to talk about it. 
don't like to talk about it because these guys are just too powerful. Just too powerful. All of you know that eight years ago or so, as a result of the greed, the recklessness, and the illegal behavior on Wall Street, this country was thrown into the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Millions of people lost their jobs, and by the way, many of those people still have Maybe they have jobs, but the jobs pay less than the jobs they lost. People lost their homes, and I know people who lost their life savings. That's what the greed and illegal behavior of Wall Street did. Eight years have come and gone, and after Wall Street went crawling to you, the middle class of this country, and they said, oh, please, bail us out. We need billions of dollars of help. Please bail us out. And some people said, well, we have to bail them out because they're too big to fail. So they go down and make half the economy with them. Well, here's the shock. If we bailed them out because they were too big to fail, turns out that three out of the four largest banks are far bigger today than they were when we bailed them out because they were too big to fail. It turns out that today, the six largest financial institutions in this country have assets equivalent to 60% of the GDP of America, about $10 trillion. They issue two-thirds of the credit cards, about one-third of the mortgages. Now, it seems to me that when you have a handful of financial institutions that have so much economic and political power, We've got to do two things. Number one, bring back a 21st century Glass-Steagall legislation which separates <laughs> which does what had been the case since the 1930s, separates commercial banks from investor banks from insurance companies. That's number one. But even more important, we've got to break them up. You know, that's what Teddy Roosevelt, the Republican, did 100 years ago. When you have such a concentration of economic and political power, we have got to break down. Let me give you an example. Just one story, which I think tells it all, about what a rigged economy and a corrupt campaign finance system is about, and what a broken criminal justice system. All brought together in one story. Here's the story. Last week, a Goldman Sachs, one of the large financial institutions in this country, multi-zillion dollar institution, uh, reached a settlement with the federal government. And the settlement is that they would pay $5 billion, that's a B, $5 billion in fines for uh, what they did in cheating investors in terms of subprime mortgages. They were selling products that they knew were worthless, uh, and they finally um, you know, acknowledged that and they can pay a $5 billion fine. This particular financial institution in the last couple of decades has given us two secretaries of the Treasury. Got it? This is a very powerful financial institution that has a revolving door with government. They work with Goldman Sachs, they go through, and it's not just secretaries of the Treasury, other very high-ranking officials within government in Republican administrations, in Democratic administrations. Okay, two secretaries of the Treasury, 
is a financial institution whose CEO is a billionaire. And this particular fellow came to Congress as a billionaire running a fraudulent financial institution. And he came to Congress and he said, you know what we have to do? We have to cut Social Security, and you've got to cut Medicare, and you've got to cut Medicaid. And then on top of all of this, and I want you to think about this. Pleading guilty, not pleading guilty, paying a $5 billion fine for rigging the system and selling products that were worthless. Obviously, some of them are being the leadership of that bank, are being prosecuted, right? Because you know that under a sensible criminal justice system, we have kids who get caught with marijuana who get a police record. Kids who are doing shoplifting. Somebody who is poor, shopless. They get a criminal record. But apparently if you are the head or a top official at a major Wall Street bank that reaches a $5 billion settlement with the United States government for fraudulent activity, there is no prosecution at all. That is a corrupt criminal justice system. And it seems to me no matter who you are, whether you're wealthy or powerful or anybody else, we have got to treat people who break the law in a fair and just manner. So I'm telling you that story because I think it tells you all, it tells you what power is about, it tells you that by and large, the business model of Wall Street is fraud. It tells you the interrelationship between Wall Street and government. And it tells you that not only do we have banks that are too big to fail, we have bankers who are too big to jail. And what the political revolution is about is not only creating an economy that works for all, it's creating a criminal justice system which is fair to all of our people. <laughs> Let me touch on one other issue and then we'll open it up. You know, people very often ask me, they say, well, Bernie, you know, you touch on a lot of issues. What are the most, what's the most important issue? It's hard to say which is the most important. But there is one issue which impacts every other issue. And that one issue is campaign finance reform. Unless we get a handle on this corrupt campaign finance system, unless we overturn Citizens United, what will increasingly happen is billionaires will more and more control the political process. And here's the unbelievable thing. As bad as the situation is today, in the sense that billionaires can now spend as much money as they want, getting them on super PACs, spend them on TV ads that I'm sure you're seeing here every day. What the Republican leadership wants is to make that even worse. What they want to do is do away with all limitations on campaign finance, so that the Koch brothers or other billionaires and walk into a room like this and say, okay, you want to run for the U.S. Senate from California? Here is a check for $100 million. There's your speechwriter, there's your media guy. 
there's your campaign manager. You work for me. Here's your check. You need more than 100 million? Come back. We got another 100 million. That is where the Republican leadership wants to go. Today, you have one family, the Koch brothers, an extreme right wing family. They don't want to cut Social Security, by the way. They want to eliminate Social Security. Eliminate Medicare. Eliminate Medicare. They will spend, with a few of their friends, close to $900 million on this campaign. And when you got one family and a few other billionaires spending more money than either the Democratic or Republican parties, that's not democracy, that is oligarchy. That is oligarchy, let's be honest about it. That is oligarchy, which means a few very wealthy families control the economic and political life of this nation. And let me just connect the dots here and tell you something else. I'm on both the Senate Environmental Committees and the Energy Committee. If anybody here doesn't know what the scientific community has said loudly and clearly, virtually unanimously, climate change is real, climate change is caused by human activity, climate change is already causing devastating problems in our country and around the world. Now, how does it happen that you have a major political party, the Republican Party, that rejects science. They don't reject the science on cancer research. They don't reject Alzheimer's research. We may have different approaches, but they listen to what doctors and scientists have to say. How come, when it comes to climate change, which is such a devastating problem for our country and the world, they say, we don't believe it, or in the words of Donald Trump, it is a hoax, developed by the Chinese, which shocked me. I thought he would think it was a hoax developed by the Mexicans, or by the Muslims, but apparently is, in this case, by the Chinese. This is his brilliant analysis of climate change. Why? And you know what the answer is? Is that today, some honest Republican, and there are some, who would say, you know, I've looked at the evidence, I've talked to the scientists, I've read the report, climate change is real, We've got to do something. We've got to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. And congratulations, Iowa, for being one of the leading states in the country in moving us to sustainable energy in terms of wind and biofuels. But if that candidate were to come up and say that, you know what would happen? His or her funding from the fossil fuel industry from the Koch brothers would be cut off. They can't say it. That's what, that's how corrupt our campaign finance system is. Okay, we conclude by saying this. I'm the only candidate to tell you a simple and straightforward but unhappy truth. And that unhappy truth is that no president of the United States, not Bernie Sanders, not anybody else, can do what has to be done for the middle class and working families of this country alone. And the reason that no president can do it alone is that the powers that be, Wall Street, corporate America, the corporate media, the large campaign donors, are so powerful that no president alone can take them on. The only way we transform this country is when millions of people, and this is what the political revolution is about, when millions of people stand up and loudly and clearly say, our government belongs to all of us, not just a handful of billionaires 
I'm here today to ask your help to make that political revolution. 